Thursday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. It is an emergency pod, Jake. This is, is a big one. This is in in on the scale of the most important podcast that we have recorded in the last in the time that we've been doing this show. I think this is a top three episode. Yeah. Would I'm you agree? To, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any that I would consider to be greater than this. And I can't maybe when Bob Murray was let go. I think that's in the top three. Yeah. But yeah, no, definitely. I can't really think of any others. So if you haven't heard the news, I'll give it to you now. The Anaheim Ducks have hired a new general manager. Pat Verbeek is the man. So after weeks, months of speculation, will it be internal? Will it be external? Will it be Jeff Solomon? Will it be Chris McFarland? We have our answer. And I think, Jake, that it all kind of makes sense because Pat Verbeek's name crept up and just wouldn't go away in the last few weeks. Definitely. And so I guess your initial reaction, your gut reaction. So it's funny. I I think on the last podcast, you and I both were a little bit, what's the best way to put it? Um, Reserved. Some skepticism, maybe. Some skepticism, a little bit reserved, mainly due to the fact of we didn't really know a whole lot, right, about Pat Verbeek. There's a whole lot of, of question marks in terms of how much of a say he had. I think since then, a lot of those questions have been answered. Part of it is uh, through his press conference today. Part of it's mm-hmm. just through doing some research. As his name became more and more apparent, started doing a little bit more digging. And there was this specific quote um, from him when he was named, because he was named the general manager of the uh, uh, Grand Rapid Griffins this past summer, mm-hmm. taking yes. over that position for, I believe it was Ryan Martin. Um, and so he had this quote, uh, or this is was reported as something he said and I actually went back and listened. This is pretty spot on. Uh, Verbeek says the wings are growing their analytics department and that they use analytics extensively says he personally likes to watch players and then check the numbers afterwards to see if they agree or if my eyes, and this is a quote unquote, if my eyes are fooling me, right? which is exactly what you want. That's exactly what you and I, I mean, do. that's kind of what we do. Yeah. And so that's exactly what you want to hear. And so I think that combined with, everything he said in today's press conference i think honestly today is one of the brightest days for the ducks franchise in a long time wow no hyperbole no i mean maybe the only other day is when they like took trevor segris maybe but that that even then it's like it was still a very much an unknown in terms of what trevor segris would come would become because it was a ninth overall pick right and so i think that this might be the brightest day for a, a while right is there any is there any disappointment for you? Any kind of emotion there about the fact that this wasn't one of the internal guys or maybe someone else that you had in mind? Does this is this a letdown in any way, shape, or form? So I think that's a bit of an unknown still. Right. In the sense of I think it depends on what ends up happening with those internal guys. Because right. I think specifically Solomon and, and, and Madden I think it depends on what happens to them. Do, are they still with the organization? And it was reported today actually by Pierre Lebrun on the TSN Insider panel um, th- that uh, both Solomon and Madden are happy to stay with the organization and work underneath Pat Verbeek. So which that is, is huge. Which is huge. And kind of basically the, the, the bigger piece of information was that it comes down to whether Verbeek wants to keep them or not. And that kind of will be decided over summer or basically – that wasn't exactly how LeBron worded it, but it was more or less along the lines of, but the uh, question comes down to how does Pat Verbeek want to build out his staff? Yeah. But I would imagine with Jeff Solomon's uh, repertoire with the fact that he was just brought in and all these different type of things, you have to have a cap guy and he seems like one of the best around. And so yeah, J- Jeff Solomon's kind of a perfect AGM in my opinion. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I will say this, this is my, one of my bigger takeaways from today. I have a few more. Don't worry. Okay. We still, have, we still have a lot of runway for this show. I think yep. it's imp- I think it's important that they got an outside candidate. Yeah. I think it's actually really meaningful that they got an external guy because if you think about it, if you look at the last 10 to 15 years of the Anaheim Ducks, how often has there actually been a total outsider come into the organization in any meaningful position? I mean, look at the last coaching hire, Dallas Akins, right? He was their guy in San Diego. Look at when they fired Bruce Boudreaux. Look who came back. It was Randy Carlisle, 
who was another retread. And then, of course, with the front office, it's just been kind of this, uh, you know, revolving door of Murray henchmen. And so I really think that if you look at the trajectory of this franchise right now, you know, Jeff Solomon came in last summer as an outsider and now Pat Verbeek as a complete outsider. I think that that's really important just to give this this whole thing a facelift because it's it's gotten stale. You've seen it on the ice the last few years. And so just from that perspective alone, I think it's important. Now, where the Pat Verbeek hire becomes even better is that there's substance behind that. So what's your stance on the whole external versus internal? So uh, Winterborn actually in our Twitch chat brings this up, and I think it's a very good point, so I want to give him credit for it. It's nice to have someone that's external because they have absolutely no emotional attachment to any of the guys on the team at the helm. And right. so I, th- I think you and I both agreed with this, right, that um, that Jeff Solomon would have been a, a, a fine candidate for it because even though he is technically an internal candidate, he's closer to an external candidate due to his uh, the amount of time he's been with the organization. Right. And so he doesn't necessarily have the same ties. And I think when you're dealing with such a pivotal trade deadline, right, I think it's actually super beneficial for the guy running it to have no emotional attachment to those players. Because at the end of the day, I know some people won't like this, but the NHL, you have to make cold and calculated decisions. And sometimes they're not going to be the ones that are the bet, the ones that fans like the most in terms of ones that are attached to players. But those types of decisions are the ones that can really catapult you into contending. And from the sounds of it, that is exactly what Pat Verbeek wants to do. And so I think, I think it made sense. I think one thing I also want to jump uh, focus on really quickly, or maybe w- let's finish on Verbeek, then we'll get to this. But I, I think external was the way to go, and it sounds like that's really what the Ducks focused on. And I think also with where the Ducks were coming from, uh, having Bob Murray with the organization and kind of the the way that he ran this team and really used a culture of fear. I think having someone external to implement their own values is so important. And, and- well. And that's the thing, by the way, and this is, I'm trying not to talk too much about the presser, but one thing that Henry Samueli with a rare public appearance today talked about is that it was really important for them to heavily vet whoever they were going to get. And that's mm-hmm. one of the biggest reasons that Pat Verbeek stood out to them is because everyone that they asked about him had only great things to say. And he seemed to really align with the value that he wants within the Anaheim Ducks organizations, the, the, yep. the, the different values, the culture, the ethics, as he described it. And I think that that's, you know, we on our show, of course, look at numbers. We try to look at it very analytically and objectively, but you got to also think about it that from the perspective of an organization, the culture stuff does matter. Like how you, how you behave on a day-to-day basis, how you interact with people beneath you, above you, all of that stuff is still important. It's how you attract free agents, right? Or potentially how you repel free agents. I mean, look at the way Vegas has kind of just dispatched players as soon as they uh, no longer kind of fit the picture. So I think this is really important. It's important for an organization to have a healthy culture. And I think that the Ducks really wanted to get it right here. And I think that they will get it right ultimately. Yeah, and and I think that, uh, everything that we've heard about him, everything that's been established, I think he is a great person to lead the way. We'll get into his quotes probably a little bit more in a, in a minute or two. But one thing I really want to focus on is it seems like the uh, search committee really kind of did their job. It, the the other names that I guess were identified were Ryan, late on were what Ryan Martin and Jason Botterill. So yeah, and, and so by the sounds of it, the Ducks really made a push for it to be someone without that much GM experience, kind of a newer face with a newer idea. And yes, Botterill does have experience as the Sabres GM, but that's... Yeah, how'd that go? <laughs> yeah, not great. So that that's a whole nother story. But regardless, I think that them looking for someone that doesn't necessarily have that experience shows that they're looking for someone new, some fresh blood, not necessarily looking at, for instance, the Pete Chirellis, for instance, the Mark Bergevin. And I think that that's a very good sign. Right. So I'm kind of of two minds where I think that it's very it's encouraging to see that Pat Verbeek was an important piece in two very I don't want to say successful organizations because Detroit hasn't really turned the corner fully yet. But you can see that they've had a plan that's coherent and that is starting to yield results. Well, and you look um, at the deals that they've made. I mean, yes, right. like you look at, for instance, bringing on Mark Stahl. 
for and getting picks for it. Like they right, essentially so, brought him on and, and were able to leverage their cap space. Like I would not be shocked with Pat Verbeek as the GM if the Ducks look to do that. Right, exactly. So you can see in the way that the Red Wings and the Lightning have uh, gone about their business that they do have kind of a more forward-thinking approach how to turn a corner with the rebuild, right? Because things weren't necessarily rosy when Iserman took over in Tampa Bay. So I think that although I'm a little, I'm always a little skeptical of, you know, just hiring a guy because he was part of successful organizations. Mm -hmm. It does seem like Verbeek was a key cog in all of that. And you never know, right? Cause you have the guy at the top in an Iserman or another organizations who gets all the credit, but a lot of the times it's the guy's, kind of working in the shadows that are the ones really doing uh, the heavy lifting. Definitely. And so I think that even though maybe you can have a little skepticism there, it is overall a positive that they really keyed in on that. And we'll get into it, of course, but just kind of judging from Verbeek's body language and the way that he was talking today, I think that he's just chomping at the bit to, to get oh, yeah. into this and get it going. Oh, yeah. Uh, one thing I want to briefly mention, I guess Tamu Solani was added to this executive search committee. That was something that was thrown out by, by Henry Samueli. So added to, to it. So just a brief note to make, but yeah, um, really happy with it though. I think overall, very happy. I think think overall the, the big thing, and I think maybe what put Verbeek over the top as opposed to the internal guys is that sure. He hasn't managed a team but he's been a lot closer to doing so in the roles that he's held. And he's had an apprenticeship with a very successful GM. And Mm -hmm. I think that the other guys just couldn't really say that definitely not internally. And maybe at most you could say like Chris McFarland in Colorado would have been that, but I think Verbeek just checks a lot of different boxes and it just makes the most sense. Yeah, I definitely. And I mean, who knows how the interviews necessarily went, but, I mean, maybe it gave him a leg up that, and this is now just pure speculation, that uh, Korea, Korea, Niedermeyer, Solani all probably played against him. So they right. had a lot, like, for better or worse, that gave them a lot of a character. Bit of bias, re- maybe. Well, not only bias, but character references, right? So you know mm-hmm. more people that know the guy. And oh, I mean, that's that's something that Henry Samueli came out and exactly, said today. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Definitely. That, that, that was that was a, a big benefit of having these guys yeah. part of the process. Yeah, exactly. And, and so that that's, I think, maybe something that also gave him a leg up. And when you're coming off the situation the Ducks came off on, right, that I think is going to be so important, along with just on, the on-ice product, obviously. And right. I, I think, I mean, let's just jump into some quotes. I mean, you want to start it off? You, you have your Twitter open to, to be able to run <laughs> through some of it. Right. Well, so I think... Starting here, we'll just kind of go chronologically through the press conference. One of the first things that stuck out to me was the mention of that it took about five years for the Lightning to become a contender once he joined in. Mm -hmm. And that he wants that to be shorter with the Ducks, but that he thinks that is kind of the reality of how long it takes to become a serious contender. Now, Verbeek also said today that he believes the Ducks are in the middle of a rebuild. So I guess the question would be, if it's five years to get to contending and the ducks are in the middle of a rebuild, does that mean that they're in year two, year two, year three? Well, of the rebuild, like, like I, is, is, from is this, the, is this year one is what I'm wondering. No, I don't think I, this I don't, is year I don't, one. I don't I, think he would have taken this job if it was like total ground. Zero. So I think year one of the rebuild, right. Is tear it down. Right. Take everything out. You have tear it down completely. You've got nothing in your prospect uh, pool. You're really, you really just have to start adding as many assets as possible. The bummer is the Ducks never actually did that to add to their prospect pool, but, but they've, they, they've managed they, to draft well regardless. Exactly, they were yeah. able to really kind of Zegras fell to them. Drysdale's turned out to be a very good pick. McTavish mm-hmm. could turn into another good one. The fact that Perot's becoming what he's becoming, pass to Job, Zellweger, all these kind of picks that are really looking like absolute steals uh, are are really going to benefit the Ducks long term. But um, I I think having said that, I think that that kind of puts the Ducks with everything in maybe year three of five, even though if you were to just do um, you were to just purely do a kind of looking at the number of years, this would be what year four if we're counting uh, Zgris as year one because there's been three drafts. So this would be year four by that logic. 
So yeah. maybe maybe because they didn't necessarily sell as much, get as many assets as they possibly could have, maybe they're one year behind where they could have been. Well, um, the, well, the big thing is that they haven't sold off any veterans yet. Mm-hmm. They haven't done any of that. And that's the big shoe that needs to drop for this thing to kind of get some inertia. Yeah, exactly. So, and, yeah. And, and, and so I think that it's kind of getting back to the actual quote from him that they're in the middle of a rebuild. Mm -hmm. I I think that that's pretty accurate because I think if you're just purely kind of thinking about the different phases, right? Start is when you start to tear it down. Um, Middle is when you have the pieces in place and now it's time to build around them. Mm -hmm. And the end of it is obviously when you've started to contend, that's the end of your rebuild. They're right at that middle. They're right at that middle where they need to start building around. And honestly, the the tearing it down's easy. It's that part that's the hard part. It's the and building it up. They haven't fully torn it down though. That's the thing. Well, they also haven't necessarily even tried to build around because this is what <laughs> the same exact roster for the last two years, three years. Well, well that's basically. the thing. So that's why I don't. I think they're in the middle when it comes to like drafting and player development, but there's still a lot that needs to happen at the mm-hmm. NHL level in terms of trades, um, things of that nature. So. Yeah, I mean, he he mentioned that he said, we have strengths, we also have weaknesses. The goal is to keep building on those strengths and then start to eliminate the weaknesses. My question, Jake, is what are the weaknesses that he's referring to that must uh, be eliminated? I sure hope it's it's Derek Grant. <laughs> Just the bottom six? Yeah. <laughs> Just the entire bottom six? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's... I think that with... with just with the way Pat Verbeek was speaking, it seems like one of the reasons this job is appealing to him is that it's pretty clear what needs to happen for this team to turn mm-hmm. a corner. Like the, it just, it, all it requires is someone to come in that can recognize that and act upon it. Right. You're not starting at total ground zero where mm-hmm. there's just nothing in the pipeline. You just got a bunch of bad veterans. Like they have guys who I mean, have some trade value and he, they have a pipeline. He has a, a very good core piece to build around in Zegris and or core pieces in Zegris, yeah. on McTavish. Right, exactly. Um, and speaking of the young players, I mean, he talked a lot about development. I mean, someone asked him at the end of the press conference what was the biggest thing that he learned from Steve Eiserman in you know in in working with him all these years. And he said the biggest thing is patience. And he really talked a lot about development. And I thought that it was just impossible to hear his comments on development and not think of certain players within the Ducks organization. I mean, he. He mentioned that the focus for all of the young players moving forward is going to be to get physically stronger. He thinks that building strength is basically like the key to becoming an impact player. Um, and he kept and he mentioned that again later on. He said that you know strength, strength training and even nutrition are going to be big factors in their kind of player development program moving forward. And he said, and I quote, "It's not a league where you can learn on the job." And so. I'm thinking of some guys, Jake, yeah. that, you know, haven't necessarily had the best go of it in the NHL um, or that have maybe just kind of skated by and that maybe with Verbeek's philosophy here of patience and development and, you know, not letting guys just kind of learn on the job. I mean, he said, he said, as I told Henry during the interview process, this league spits out a lot of players, coaches, and general managers. It's a tough league it's the best league in the world and you have to be prepared to play in it. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to say his name because this is the name that came to my mind. Jamie Drysdale. Yep. Like, is he not the poster boy for everything that Pat Verbeek said there? I mean, he's not physically developed. He's not really thriving at the NHL level. And there's been basically zero patience with his development because he's gone from the OHL to the AHL for a cameo to the NHL in a matter of months. Yeah. And now he's on a top pairing and he just won't be moved off of it. Yeah. Like, do you see a scenario where down the stretch here, maybe Jamie Drysdale does get a, a run in San Diego? I could, I mean, I think the real question is how does Pat Verbeek view him? Does, and this I mean, to is, me, he just, he, he checks all the boxes. No, I know. But, yeah. but the question is right. How, what would Dallas Aiken say? If he was asked about Drysdale, he's been great. He's been, all, all oh, the yeah. coaches, all the coaches. Yeah, and same thing with Lundestrom. So the real question is, is Verbeek going to agree with that? I would say probably not. I mean, yeah. another guy that kind of comes to mind, but not in the same way, is Trevor Zegers. Because Zegers is also not you know, physically mature yet, but he's also 
performing well in the NHL. Well, and he had mentioned this. I can't remember actually if this was on the press conference today or when he was on the uh, when he would did his Grand Rapids Griffins Griffins one. They're kind of meshing together in some way because I listened to that yesterday. Um, but he had mentioned that the one thing that he focuses on is he wants people to dominate in the AHL before coming up. Right. And so it's not necessarily a situation of just physical dominance. It's just dominance overall. And I think the issue for Zegris or the issue with their, I guess the good thing, if you want to put it this way for Zegris is you can't send him back. Cause he's already torched the AHL. Exactly. And he's right. already torching the NHL. He's second in the league in the NHL in points. So right. there's no way they would ever send him back as a result of that. I, I, don't, Drysdale, I don't see that either. Yeah. No, and I, I think Drysdale is a different story be, completely because of that. You don't you don't send back down the guy who's in the race for the Calder Trophy. You could send down a guy who's struggling at the NHL, though, and could use the minutes in the AHL that is 19 years old. And here's the thing, and, and I think this is where you and I both agree on this, and maybe some – I'm throwing this in there because some people might think of you saying this is – uh, thinking you hate Drysdale. Oh, people are just convinced on that by now. Yeah. There's no turning back. It's okay. But this isn't a bad thing. It's very rare for people to be in the NHL at 19 years old. And I think from that perspective, I mean, he, he was in the NHL at 18. Yeah. So. And I think from that perspective, he can use some more time in the AHL, go playing against some lesser competition, right? And being able to dominate at that level. And I think that that could do him some good. And so. That, that's, I think, where you and I are both coming from is that this isn't necessarily a bad thing and necessarily a de- uh, stating his game's not ever going to develop. It's actually looking at it from the perspective of, hey, we want his game to develop. Here's right. a better path of going about it. Well, yeah, and, and it's also just, yeah, like it's not a comment here on what we think he's going to be. The idea, though, is to get him to that point, get him to that ideal potential because the potential for Jamie Drysdale is clearly a top-pairing defenseman who can, you know, be a great player in transition, who can break the puck out, who can enter the offensive zone, who can make things happen on the power play. Like that is his ceiling. That's what we've always assumed it to be. And he's shown flashes of that at the NHL level. The problem is he is like when he's on the ice, the ducks are getting pretty handily outplayed. And that's been a theme the entire time that he's been in Anaheim. And at a certain point, you got to start asking yourself, is he truly benefiting from this experience or would it be better for him to really go down at a level where he can just be the best player or, shel- or shelter him in the NHL? Or, yeah. Like it doesn't have to be in the AHL. You can also just not blame us. You're not blame on your shutdown bearing, like for crying out loud. So I think that my biggest takeaway from all this, cause there wasn't really a whole lot of substance in Verbeek's press conference is just that I think he's got a, he's got a longer view of this franchise's trajectory. I think that he's looking at this not for, okay, let's we're excited about this year. We're going to make a push. I think he's really looking at it as how can we absolutely optimize what we have and be contenders for the long, the long haul. And I think that he's going to, I think there's a good chance he's going to get them there. If that's his view. I mean, yeah, his, his view, he did not ever once say state in this press conference. I think this was the biggest thing. He did not ever once state, that his goal is to make the playoffs this year, right? <laughs> no, no, he did not say that. And he did not say that the Ducks are almost in a playoff position. We want to push to be able to to make it in because who knows what happens once you make it in. His whole thing is about contending, right? And this is what we've talked about: is understanding our your content your contending window. And right. it sounds like he understands that by saying they're in the middle of the rebuild. It takes five years to build rebuild into contention. Yeah. You don't say the, that, the, you don't say that you're in the middle of a rebuild and then go out and add to your roster to yeah. try to to try to skate by into the playoffs, right? Yeah, those two things wouldn't line up. So, look, people, there's just there's just a portion of the fan base that's just always going to hate to hear this, but this is what's going to happen. The Ducks are going to trade their UFAs. It's I don't see a scenario where they bring back the majority of them. Like guys are going to get moved and. That's the correct course of action. If they're in the middle of a rebuild, you got to go still go get assets and, 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 and look to the future. And I would say that that if that is his view, I mean, has Detroit signed any, I, I'm now just trying to think a lot and think about overall signings. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can talk for a bit or once I'm done here, I'll, I'll do a quick <laughs> little search on, on cap friendly and see what I can find in terms of signings by Iserman. Mm-hmm. But I'm not necessarily sure if I can think of any guys that were re-signed by Detroit 
or given extensions for that matter in right. in, in the way that the Ducks Well, have. if you look at Detroit's cap sheet over the last few years, they've really made it a priority not to make any big commitments. I mean, their only big commitment was to Dylan Larkin for a while, and everything else is kind of a medium-term contract. They extended Robbie Fabry, and that was a three-year deal. So they've made it really a priority to kind of keep their cap sheet clean to give themselves the most flexibility that they possibly can. I mean, if you really look at it, they've done a masterful job. Um, I mean, their their big move last year was to to trade Anthony Mantha and go get Jakob Verana, and so that way you can kind of move back the move back your timeline a little bit. So if he's taking any of that philosophy to Anaheim, then I can't imagine a scenario where he's signing Hampus Lindholm to a six to eight year deal. Like it's just yeah. not happening. Yeah. I mean, how am I, let me see Tyler Bertuzzi. I mean, Tyler Bertuzzi was only signed to a two year deal. Even. Right. And like, so yeah. So even these kind of bigger players, they're not signing big deals. I mean, Jacob Verona, three year deal. Like, they're really trying to focus on keeping the term down. So overall, I, I think that, yeah, you can pretty much agree that uh, they're all they're all probably gone. I think Lindholm is maybe the only question mark, but I would say that's even doubtful at this point. Yeah, it's just it just doesn't feel like it's happening to me. I mean, maybe I'll be wrong about this. Maybe I'll eat crow. But I think with Hampus Lindholm, first off, if you're his agent, right, you must be a little frustrated at kind of the way things have unfolded here, right? You've had to deal with Murray all this time. Now Murray's been out, so you can't really have true conversations without knowing who's the GM right up until now. And now you've got to squeeze everything in between now and the trade deadline. And it just feels like the Ducks and the trajectory that they're on, there's no way that they're going to be willing to commit this huge contract. Like now, as Pat Verbeek coming into this, you want to maintain the flexibility as much as you can to mold this how you want to and immediately locking yourself into a deal with Hampus Lindholm just doesn't make a ton of sense. I also think it's highly likely that the Ducks retain salary on all of them. And the Ducks also take a salary back at some point to get extra. Yeah. Like you're going to start seeing the Ducks do things that they haven't done in recent years. And, you know, I think you're going to see them be way more creative with deals than they've been in the past. I know that people love Dave McNabb and that he got a ton of credit for the Ducks cap management and whatnot, but they never really got creative making trades. They never really did anything to that effect. And so I think now having someone who believes in that, who's, been on been a part of a franchise franchises who've actually done it that should give you confidence that the ducks are going to do everything they can to really turn a corner here and then hit the turbo button yep definitely um and a couple other things i just want to really touch on i think this we we briefly talked about this on monday but i think this is the absolute perfect time to hire a gm and i think it really came into clarity on monday when we were thinking about it with the fact that the ducks don't play again until next friday Mm -hmm. and so this gives him, I think he said he's going to be fly back on Saturday to meet with everyone. And that's going to be right. essentially when he hits the ground running in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's going to basically have almost a full week of no games, just being able to meet with players, talk to players, watch practice. He essentially gets a mini training camp. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, no, and Totally. And I think that that's a really underrated part of all this is the timing of this is absolutely perfect. And and he's able to understand what the team is, where they're at. And I mean, he said this, he's going to talk to player agents, talk to other, and he said specifically, talk to other GMs Mm -hmm. to see where their value's at. So, I mean, I'm excited. I think that's the only way to put it. I I think that if it's felt with the Ducks for years now, like there's kind of this gridlock where things just aren't progressing, things aren't moving forward. And when they do, they don't really completely make sense when there's a move that happens, right? You you have to scratch and claw just to try to rationalize it with everything that Bob Murray did. And it's just going to be refreshing now to see someone who's got a, a completely different mind for the game. And I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see where this all leads. I think it's going to lead to success and sustainable success. Yep, agreed completely. And um, I mean, here's the thing. All this is great. I'm very, very happy with this from everything we've heard. Mm-hmm. Now the next thing is to see it all go into action. Well, now you've got to do it. Now you've yep. got to go out and, and pull it off. And and here's the thing that's, I think, nice is the fact of when this is happening, we're going to have an answer pretty quickly to all of this because the, <laughs> right. deadli- the deadline is six and a half weeks away. Right. 
So right. we're going to we're going to pretty quickly have an idea of where he views this organization, how he views it, what he thinks is the way to to build it into contention, what type of team does he want. And right. I think that's going to be critical. And I think also for instance, look at the team Detroit's built. They mm-hmm. haven't necessarily cared about having uh physical players necessarily, although they mm-hmm. have some, but they're more they're a transition team, right? Right. That's kind of what they do. And right. that's what Iserman's kind of built. I mean, Tampa, same thing, was built in a transition team. They added some fourth liners, or they added the the third and fourth liners and those types of guys, but they were still high-end players on those bottom lines to have success. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was actually after Iserman left. But still, so I think it's important to understand that, and I think it's going to be critical to see the type of team he builds. Right, and I think that some people maybe when they heard him you know, talk about strength, that it's like, oh, here we go again, right? With you grit know? and But I don't like think that. it's that. I think he just literally means physically strong yeah that's a big component which no matter what yeah gotta be strong to be an nhl hockey like it it that doesn't necessarily mean grit i mean you have to be strong to be able to beat goalies you have to be strong you have to be strong on your edges you have to be strong on your edges to be able to get around guys like it's a very strength strength is i mean austin price says strength equals durability that's also exactly injury prevention but also i mean think of all the different things where you can benefit from being stronger right protecting the puck uh trying to get the puck back winning it along the wall, driving to the net, holding your ground as a defenseman in front of the net or as a forward in front of the net. Like there's just so many different areas where that's important. And I don't think that he meant that as a critique of the way that the Ducks have developed their players. At least I don't think so. I don't think so. But you can clearly see that there are guys who can benefit from this philosophy. And so it's going to be interesting to see where it all goes. Um, And sure, there's definitely question marks. We haven't we haven't seen Pat Verbeek be a GM at the NHL level. We only have, you know, kind of anecdotes about what he's done. And we only have quotes about, you know, that, that kind of illustrate what we think he believes. But it all seems to be pointing in a pretty positive direction. And, hey, can't be worse than Bob Murray. That much is certain. Certainly. Certainly. Um, all right. So let's get into a couple of quick questions. Um, we'll go to Discord and then we'll just go to Twitch. Not going to give you the whole spiel. But from Heyo Flow in our Patreon Discord chat said, will the Ducks be in the Stanley Cup final in the next five years? Yes. Uh, who was the first domino to fall at the trade deadline? Lindholm, Manson, or Raquel? And is there any of the three that is less likely than the others to be dealt? Or is it pretty much 100% now that all will be dealt? I think they're all gone. I think Raquel might be the first to go. Last question. Does the hiring of Verbeek increase the chances that Gibson is dealt, given that Gibson has publicly stated he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild? I don't know. I mean, I think that Gibson, like, I think, I think they're going to try to sell Gibson on what this team can be. Because if you're a GM, you look at at John Gibson and you think, yeah, that's that's a perfect asset for us because he's a he's basically a sure value for the next few years in net, and he's well, playing he's playing at a Vezina level and, right now. And I also think John Gibson stating that is, I think, what Pat Verbeek would want to hear. Because right. we've, we've said this a lot. CJ is actually the one that's I th- probably said this the most, uh, but he's right completely, is that rebuilding, tanking, however you want to say it, that's not a player strategy. You never right. want players to say, I'm going to lose the game. Mm-hmm. It, losing should never be a fun thing for players, but no. it is a management strategy. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, maybe that's where there's a disconnect if management is setting up the team to fail. Well, so, but, but, if, I, but but I think the way that you do this is Verbeek goes to Gibson and say, hey, like, we're, this is what we need to do to contend in the next couple of years. Sure, we're losing these guys now, but this is not about this season. Right. Right. And I think that that's the thing you got to really stress to John Gibson because he wants to win. And being a goalie on a rebuilding team sucks, mm-hmm. as John Gibson can attest to. But I think that maybe it's a little more palatable for a John Gibson knowing that there is an actual plan. I mean, (laughs) with all due respect, you know, just saying we have a plan now we're rebuilding all of a sudden doesn't mean that you have this great vision or that you're actually doing anything about it because that's what, that's what the ducks try to pull on us to start the year. And I, I don't know, like in hindsight, I don't know how seriously we should have taken them, but with we kind of Ver- said it. We kind of said at the time that it was great to hear that talk. Now it's time for them to walk the walk. Exactly. And with Pat Verbeek, you just you go to John Gibson and if you have a clear plan and you have a vision for how this is going to go and why it's worth it for John Gibson to stick it out with this club. Then I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, 
Agreed completely. Uh, Ken Pafu said they mentioned Pat Verbeek's success with uh, Tampa Bay a lot. Do you think that they would have gone McFarland if Colorado would have won a couple of cups in the last couple of years? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, it's I, hard to say. I, yeah, I would say probably not. I think it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like McFarland wasn't even a finalist for it. So it, it seems like it was mainly I mean, kind of like a character reference, his interviews, things yeah. like that. Like, and there's also, a, Ver, there's a Ver, whole lot of things we don't know about the interview process, right? Right. And Verbeek, just kind of the way he carries himself and the way he speaks, he's kind of like an Iserman light. <laughs> and yeah. I think that that probably played well in an interview setting. By the way, he had some uh, nice glasses on today. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of lot of good feedback on the glasses. Yeah, uh, JJ, uh, sorry, Winterborn, we kind of already answered your que- the question with Heyo Deflos. JJ Stone Drum says, "How quickly do you think we might start seeing his influence on the lineup, whether it's lines or usage?" That's a great question because I'm not 100 percent sure to be honest with you, but I think I think we're gonna have to start seeing it in not that long. I think it might take a couple weeks mm-hmm. just for him to kind of take his notes down see how Dallas Aikens is really operating. And then he comes in and kind of makes his recommendations. You so would have to imagine, you'd have to imagine he's queued up all the games of the last, like, Oh, I'm sure he's watched them all. Like he's watching all of them. Maybe it'll happen right away. And I mean, if you're a ducks fan, you can only hope that it will. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, Lewis X 209 said, will we see Zegers's name number change sooner rather than later? Now that Pat Verbeek's in charge, Iserman allowed the rookies to wear their numbers. Lucas yeah. Raymond's wearing his number. Sider's wearing his number. Yeah, I mean, who's who's going to say no now is the question. So, Jake yeah. sneezed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, muted myself so no one the, had to the hear The magic that. of technology. Should, should Zegris just come onto the ice on Friday wearing a number 13 jersey? I know you'd be a fan of that. Oh, I would love it. Yeah. Just do it. Just should He, he should just show up at All-Star Game and wear number 13. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see, though, like what's going to be kind of the most random slash tangential thing that's going to be changed now because of a new GM. Yep. Uh, Jeremy uh, said, with the team in the middle of a rebuild, when does it get to the point where the team could become buyers? I'm 100% down with trading all of Manson, Raquel, and Lindholm, but when should the team target someone in a trade that could help now and long-term? Bit of a long-winded question, but I don't know how else to ask it. I mean, it could happen as soon as next year. I mean, right? it could happen this, this year. I mean, that's what getting Chikrin is. Yeah, like that's the thing. Like that's kind of the thing with being in the middle of a rebuild is that you can start thinking now a little bit about what the other side will look like. You have a better view of it and you have a better idea of what you need to add to your core. So the Ducks could already be buyers, but if you're thinking of the traditional sense of going out and getting like a UFA at the trade deadline type of buyer, they're probably still in, about an, a year or two away from that, at least yeah. I would say. Yep. Uh, that guy Bobsky said two questions. We all know what the most likely the first moves that uh, Pat Verbeek makes dealing with UFAs. Uh, what is the next priority that he has and what does the summer look like? Yeah, I think that's a great question because like you were saying, we all have a, this pretty clear idea of what the next few weeks are going to look like. But what is the what does the longer term look like? I think that one thing he's going to have to start thinking about, and I don't know the exact dates on this. But what are the contracts for Troy Terry, Trevor Zegris, Jamie Drysdale? Like, what's what's that all going to look like? Extensions can be signed over summer. Right. So it's coming up. And I would imagine that that will be a priority is to get Troy Terry locked up for a long time. Here's another priority. Mm -hmm. My smaller one, but I think that this is probably the next priority for him Mm -hmm. because this comes once their uh, their years are done is trying to get some of the NCAA guys signed. Because there's right. a, a couple, a decent amount of the guys that will be going into their senior years. So if they don't get signed in the next little bit, there's the potential that the Ducks could lose a Jackson Lacombe, a Henry Thrun, a mm-hmm. Blake McLaughlin. Like all these guys are going to be going into their senior years and could be lost for nothing. And while they may not seem like huge deals. Well, it's just stuff lo- you've got to do as an organization. Yeah. Losing an asset for nothing is never a good idea. And right. so that that's kind of, I think, a, and those those are all important pieces. I mean, Thrun Lacombe could could become NHLers. Right. And so I think that those are probably the priorities, assigning those big contracts. I mean, I mean, even for next summer, or sorry, yeah, the, the upcoming offseason, you've got to deal with Sam Steele, Isaac Lundestrom. So there's this whole wave of contracts that they're going to have started thinking about. So he's got some work to do. He's yep. not going to be a... He's not going to be bored. And then that guy, Bobsky asked, do you prefer Verbeek to prioritize higher level prospects over higher draft picks right now? As in, in terms of, uh, I think getting those back in trades. Uh, 
I don't know. It depends. I, I think it's really a case by case basis. It depends on what the the prospect is. Who's the, the prospect? Right. Who's yeah? I think some situations a pick is better than a prospect and vice versa. So. Yeah. Uh, Ken Paffey said, should Bouchard be sweating since he was a shoo-in to be the next coach under uh, Bob Murray, but now uh, that Verbeek's in town? I don't think he was a shoo-in to be the next coach. I don't think so either. I think that that was kind of like a narrative because that was the narrative in Montreal, that he was going to be the next coach, and then it didn't happen. Um, I, I don't know. I don't have a good Yeah, I mean, I, I what we were told by the organization was that he was brought in for his development, that that's something the Ducks had kind of lost in the last little bit. And basically, it they wanted to really focus on development in the It AHL. seems like he's in the right spot. Yeah. So, all right, here we go. Let's get into some questions from Twitch, and then we'll kind of wrap this thing up, put a bow on this at maybe 45, 50 minutes. Uh, Austin Price 529 said, pros, cons to Verbeek bringing in his own AGM slash staff. Why not keep Madden slash Solomon? So do we... Okay, so we don't know yet what's going to happen there, right? No, I, I think we, we know that I think the or the AGMs are going to remain the same this year. I don't think Verbeek's bringing in anyone right now, but that could change over summer. I think I think it makes a lot of sense that with the deadline being six and a half weeks away, he wants to rely on the people there within the organization and then after that make his decisions on everyone else. Yeah. And honestly, like we said, with kind of this deadline potentially being a trial run for Solomon if he was still the interim GM, I mm-hmm. think this is also a trial one run for Verbeek with those guys as AGMs for him and see how he meshes with them. Exactly. So I think that the pros of bringing your own people in is that now, especially after this trial run, you'll have an idea for what the club needs. And look, if you trust that Pat, that Pat Verbeek is your guy, then you've got to trust that he can bring in people to help him do the job. I mean, let's face it. The Ducks have made a lot of mistakes over the last few years that have kind of put them in this position. And that. Yes, Bob Murray carries much of that blame, but he's not alone. And so you got to imagine that there's people within that organization who might not be around for a ton longer. There's also people who have helped drive the success. So the cons are obviously that maybe you're losing a guy who was actually critical, like a Martin Madden, let's say, or a Jeff Solomon. Um, so it could go either way, but I think that it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yep. Sith Lord Buscemi said, I've heard of the Ducks being eyed as a player for Patrick Laine. I actually, so that's from him. I like a year ago, like, like, I just want to make it clear. I have actually not heard that. I haven't seen that. That anywhere, was a year ago. What would you want a line trade to look like? If you want it at all? I, uh, I don't I, think Patrick line is worth it. No, I don't either. Uh, shadow ops gaming 13 said question. I know it's possible for the ducks to get chicken for fun. Can the ducks get chicken and to without giving up too much? So what's this to noise? Yeah. I'm not sure either. It's, I feel like, like I, I feel like I've, I've heard seen, this. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not quite sure. I mean, is he available? Like, is Chicago that just stupid? I mean, we know they're stupid, but are they? Yeah, I mean, stupid? I mean, look at the look at the town hall yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, how how truly in the in the background uh, are they? According to Daily Faceoff, here we go, here we go. Uh, according to Daily Faceoff or Face Faceoff, Frank Saravelli. Oh my God, Patrick Line is terrible this season. I just yeah, those stats. Mm-hmm. Sharing that he believes uh, are untouchable and not on the trade market with a pretty big, of course, names Patrick Kane and we're on his list. He also lists Seth Jones. But the name that Cervelli uh, believes is not untouchable on that list is Alex DeBrinka. How? How? He's their number one best asset. He's an RFA in 23, and he's 24 now. He's their best player. Wow. Okay. Well, hey, I mean, that is a guy that maybe you want to target if you're if you're the Ducks. But yeah. I feel like it's going to cost you a pretty lump sum. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it would cost a lot. Uh, I would – if if you can get that done, if you can get Chikrin and Debrinkat yeah. with all of the assets that you get from Lindholm, Raquel, Manson. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, the Ducks are set I mean, up to contend next year. What do you think Debrinkat costs, though? I have I have no clue because I feel like it's a crap ton. Um, yeah, I, mean, I I have no clue. I mean, it is Chicago, and Chicago is very dumb. The weird thing with DeBrincat is that he's not good defensively. I mean, here's the hope. Here's the hope. Mm. Actually, uh, I think he's actually good defensively. Is he not? Uh, no. I mean, okay. not this year at least. Okay. Um, no. I guess the hope is. I mean, did you see the rumor that Pichirelli might get? Uh, yeah. So, Picciarelli goes to Chicago and trades away Alex Dabrinkit. One for one. 
Yeah. One for one for Hampus Lindholm. Let's do it. Come on. Make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, Chris Kindred asks, are the Ducks more likely to keep Aikens through the rebuild, uh, similar to how the Red Wings have handled their coaching with Boschel? By the way, real quick, did you notice that Henry Samueli said Dallas Eakins? I mean, look, if, if Henry Samueli wants to fly in the face of the NHL pronunciation guide, <laughs> be my guest. Be my guest, Henry. <laughs> Sorry, oh. I had to. Uh, so the question, so the the question was about, are, do you think that the ducks would be likely to hold on to Aikens similar to what the Red Wings have done with Blashill? It's possible. I mean, I think that they have to be really confident that he is the right guy to develop their players. They, I also they, think it's a little bit of a different situation, right? Cause was Bla- Blashill extended ever? Well, that's the thing is that the, the, I mean, Verbeek now is going to have a chance to pick his own coach. And so, it's kind of Aikens versus the field. And so who, I mean, who are you betting on there? I guess is the question. I'd take the field. Right. And I think that that's, that might be what Verbeek does as well, yeah. but we'll see. Uh, Craig Pinwhistle said, does uh Pat Verbeek have any people like, or were they all Iserman's people? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Not quite sure there. I mean, that's kind of also where this test run is important, right? Cause right. I mean, with Breezeball, I would assume that the people that just were with Breezeball kind of stayed in Tampa, but, some people mm-hmm. left with Iserman. Right. Uh, let's see. Uh, what other question? Question for Felix from X la- last one left. Uh, what do you think of Caulfield playing on Zegras's wing? <laughs> uh, I mean, it'd be fun to watch. I don't know how that deal gets done though. Yeah. Kent Hughes ain't, ain't trained Caulfield. Yeah. Uh, that guy, Bobsky said, which current prospect has the best chance of becoming the next Troy Terry? I late round Ooh. pick turned elite passage off. Well, yeah. I guess, are we considering third round pick late? Yeah, I mean it's it's no longer early. Okay, pass the job. That's easy. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, Des Merson said, "Do you think the Ducks focus on the defense revamp or more scores? I think I mean, everything. They need, they need everything, right? I think like, everything. I I I genuinely think that the biggest thing for Pat Verbeek is to essentially mold the roster into what he wants. And I think the <laughs> yeah. the days of going a summer with the roster being exactly the same. Oh my! You mean the last three years? Yeah, and, and no real moves of significance at the deadline. Like, let should we do this? I'm, you know what? Screw it. I'm doing it. I'm gonna what run. Are you doing? I'm I'm gonna run through Bob Murray's trade history. Oh God! I knew that's who you were gonna do. Bob Murray trade history. Let's go to. Well, yeah. I mean, how many summers did we have to deal with the Ducks absolutely just doing nothing? when it was very clear they needed to do something. And then so, to start the season, we have to have the same conversation we always do. So last deadline, you have the Hawk and Paw for Flurry trade. Ooh. Yeah, how'd that for, one work out? Hut, Hutton for a fifth. <laughs> Morand for Volkov. Oh R.I.P. Jack or Jack Kopaka for Trevor Carrick. Good Branson for a fifth. Now we're in the off season of 2020, October 2020. You have uh, – oh, these are all seventh-round picks. Uh, these Milano, are just all nothing trades. Mil- Milano, for, no- Mil- Milano for sure. Except for Milano. Turned so. out into a great deal. Uh, yeah. Ir- Irwin in a sixth for Holzer. Juice <laughs> for Strong. Heinen for Richie. Derek Grant for a fourth – how did they get a fourth-round pick for Derek Grant? That's actually insane. These are just stupidest insane. trades, I swear uh, to God. There's the Kasha trade. These trades just don't amount to anything except for the Milano Seventh-round pick for, for Good Branson. Remember, our, remember we had to do. Remember we had to talk about the Volkov trade, yeah, and like and like give it time of day, yeah. And uh, now Alexander Volkov's in Russia. Four, fourth round pick for Delorier. They got a sixth round pick for Delzato. Uh, there's the Montour trade. Yeah, Shen, Brent, for Del, Shen for Delzato. Brendan Gooley. Grant for Blandisi. Oh, remember when they acquired Grant and we were doing a Patreon episode during it? Yes, I do remember that. Blandisi for Grant, Kloos for Aberg. The Kloos is loose. Remember that oh, whole fun thing? God. These are uh, such nothing trades. Like the Backus trade is the only good one where they took on David Backus's contract and got the first round pick. The Kasha part's separate. That's a bad part. There's just no premium trades. assets in any of these. No. Uh, sure for Cogliano. Uh, oh, fun name. Blast from the past. Gianna Fiori. Oh yeah, Giovanni. Giovanni. Fiori. You said Giovanna. Yeah, I really Giovanni Fiore. Oops. Adam Cracknell, Olympian for Steve Alexi. All right, all right. Can we? Are, that, are we so done here? That went all the way back to 2018. Yeah, I, I think we're. That's done That's four years. Yeah, that, 
Bob Murray didn't do shit for four years. Four like, years. W- was just sleeping at the wheel for four years. Four and it, years. As it turns out, the car crashed. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's end with these two questions. DB Lowry asked, chances of a rebrand in New Jersey's now that there's a new GM? I don't know. I mean, who's really in charge of that? I feel yeah. like it's more of the business side. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Who knows? But at least Murray isn't there to veto it all down. True. Yep. Uh, Sith Lord Buscemi said the D- Dangle podcast mentioned Manson as a primary target and mentioned adding someone like Kerfoot as a sweetener in the deal. Uh, with Amirov and Robertson injured long term, who would you at the mo- long term at the moment? Who would you want from Toronto? I mean, I don't care if Amirov or Robertson yeah, are injured. Doesn't like, matter. Give me them. Give, give me Rodion Amirov. Like if if they could get Nick Robertson or Rodion Amirov for Josh Manson, ding ding ding. Yeah, winner. Correct. correct. Like that. That's getting a premium asset for someone. Yeah. 100%. God, I can't believe that we I can't, just, believe we've had, I can't believe we've had to do this freaking podcast all these years talking about Bob Murray's stupid trades or like, lack of or lack that, thereof. That is going back to 2018. Yes. I'm aware. Oh, I've, wait, I've, well, I've wait, lived it. Re- really I'm quick, a victim. I'm really, a victim of this. Re- really quick. The 2018 deadline. Chris Wagner for Jason Chimera. Oh my fucking. But speed. The worst, the absolute worst trades. Just the, the most. No, why wait. do you think nothing has happened in this? Anaheim for this three was years? the entire. This was the entire rebuild. Yeah, like that's like, the whole thing. Like, like they haven't. The, like like this year when we were told, oh, we're doing a rebuild. It's like, yeah. Well, guess what? You tore it down just by doing nothing for four years. You've already been rebuilding. Congratulations. God. Uh, just all right. Truly. Uh, we'll we'll end with a very quick off-topic thing. Feel the painful light said, Felix, what about the barricade? Yeah, I've been on TV twice this week, twice more than I ever have before that. So. Hey, you were on TNT. Well, no, like physically, I my know, face, I know, <laughs> my body, my spirit, my soul. All right, that's good. I, I think that'll do it for us tonight. Oh, yeah. All right, guys. Well, hey, thanks for listening. Hope you're all happy that there's a new GM in town and better things to look forward to. If you've been enjoying our show and you want to help keep this thing going, there are a few ways for you to do that. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash crash the pond. If you pledge a dollar a month, you get access to our patrons only discord server. It's a ton of fun. You get to connect with other diehard ducks fans and be part of the fastest growing thriving ducks community online for $5 a month. You get access to the discord server still plus two bonus episodes. We get more into either more detailed Ducks topics or league-wide topics and rankings. And for $15 a month, you're basically saying, I love you so, so much. Um, And you get everything that I just talked about. That's at patreon.com slash crash the pond. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts. Search for Crash the Pond. Leave us a rating and a review there. If you leave the review, we'll make sure to read it on the show. We're also on Spotify. Leave us a rating there. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash the pond. Make sure to subscribe and turn on your notifications and check out our website, crash the pond.com at crash the pond on Twitter. Jake is on Twitter at reindeer games 91. And I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. That is going to do it for us tonight, guys. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the news. And we will talk to you next Monday. Have a good one. Y'all bye.